Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Alexa Mix. And today on the panel, we have Alan Weimer. Hello. And myself, Adi Iyengar. We don't have Sasha today. And Alan has coerced me into hosting today, and he's very happy. And we also have a really cool guest today, Philip Brown. Hey, Philip. Hey, how's it going? Philip, yeah. Today you're here to talk about a few things. But before we start talking about that, why don't you tell our listeners what you're all about? Give a quick intro. Yes, so my name is Philip Brown. I'm based in the UK. I'm a full-time Elixir contract engineer. Been working with Elixir since about 2015, I think, or 2016. And yeah, full-time Elixir contractor since 2019. Yeah, l- last year, I built an application called prize.com, which was like productivity application built in Elixir. And yeah, like blog, try to blog fairly regularly on things that I'm doing or, or building with Elixir. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I did not realize you were doing Elixir since 2015. So I'm going to kind of like change the script a little bit. I would love to learn how you got into Elixir because 2015 was like, actually, twenty end of 2015 when was when Elixir 1.0 came out, right? So yeah, what got you into Elixir? Yeah, so before Elixir, I was like full-time doing PHP. And I kind of, PHP was like, it, it always, to me, it always felt like a tool. Like it was a means to an end. It was things, I was using it as a, just as a tool, but I didn't particularly like using it. I, I liked the thing that I was building. And I dabbled with Ruby, but I, I've never actually been employed as a Ruby developer. But I did I, I did have a foot in that community. Um, I followed a lot of like Ruby developers on Twitter. And yeah, I just started picking up the kind of vibe from people that I was following that they were interested in Elixir, building things with Elixir. I think the person that I was following at the time who really tipped me over the edge of, of to learn Elixir was uh, Stevie Graham who started Teller.io. It's like a API for your bank. And he was like hacking on projects. Yeah, I thought that was like really interesting. And then, then yeah, the, the more I kind of looked into it, it felt like similar to, to Ruby, but then which was something that I kind of, I wanted to, to do more of at the time but never worked full-time in Ruby. But then, yeah, like the more I looked into it, the more things started to resonate. So like one of the early things was I stumbled upon Joe Armstrong's description of Erlang, where, you know, you have this like this world of processes and then messages are passed between processes. And that just seemed like a million miles away from what I was doing at the time. <laughs> and yeah, I just kept I just kept pulling on that string really. And and where PHP felt like a tool, just a tool that I was using, it was like I'd just pick up this hammer and I would I would use it. Elixir felt more of a, oh, this feels right. This feels like something that I want to use that I'm not just using to build something. I'm I want to I want to explore more. I want to use it more. And yeah, so I was doing that for a few years, just hacking on things on the side with Elixir for quite a long time, up until 2019, when I thought, screw this, I'm going to like take the jump and do Elixir full-time, because that's that's really what I wanted to, to do. That's really cool. Yeah, it's always interesting to hear everyone's story, how they got into Elixir, but it's particularly interesting to hear people pre-2016, how they got into Elixir, because that's like before Phoenix 1.0, right? So like, it's generally, without web development, at least general population, the incentive for them to get into Elixir is not as much. But yeah, really... Really interesting to hear that story with PHP. I guess let's get into Haystack, right? So that's going to be like our main topic for today. It's it's a full text search engine that Philip wrote. 
completely in Elixir. Do you want to start talking about that? Like maybe what was the motivation to do that? Yeah, so I my blog, cult.com, C-U-L-T-T-T.com. It's a pretty much a vanilla Phoenix application. I use Nimble Publisher to manage the content. But other than that, like there's no database, there's no like external services. And that's how it, that's kind of like how I want to keep it that way. I don't want to start like if I don't have to have a database, I don't want uh, the headache or the cost of a database. And I certainly don't want to start adding additional services. And for a long time, this cult's been running, I think that you know, the first first post. Like it hasn't always been in Elixir, but the first post is like uh, really old. And so like, yeah, I kind of just got by without having full text search. It's kind of annoying because if you wanted to search, you had to like go to Google and then uh, like with a like put in some query that like is specific to cult and then with the term that you're looking but for, but it's like it was manageable, but it's not a great user experience. And then earlier this year, I kind of started thinking, I want to build more projects like that, where it's essentially just like almost a vanilla Phoenix application, where it maybe does one or two things, but the goal of the project is to try and get traction, to try and get scale to, to do something. But I don't necessarily want to start managing databases for these things. I don't necessarily man- want to to start managing more infrastructure or more third-party dependencies. I certainly don't want the cost of doing these things. And so, yeah, I kind of like thought, well, this is kind of a good opportunity to you to to build something. Uh, so originally, I wanted to start using Elastic Luna, which is an, an existing Elixir full text search, basically a slimmed down version of a Elasticsearch built entirely in Elixir. And when I, I stumbled upon that a while ago, actually, it must have been six or seven months ago. And immediately I was just like, oh, this is perfect. This is this provides full text search, but it doesn't require any additional external dependencies. So like if I was if I was already using Postgres or SQLite, then you know I could have full text search from there. But with Elastic Luna, they, this was perfect. And then a couple of Weeks ago, I I installed it for the first time. And I pulled it down into a project and started using it. And there's a few things that kind of hit me immediately that it was it just wasn't going to work. So like one of the things was it, it took like a long time to to start up the application. I think just the way it like serialized and deserialized mm. the data it meant for like the data that I had that I wanted to index, which it, it which like you know in the grand scheme of things is not a huge amount of data. But it was taking like two minutes to to start the application, and I was just like, "Oh, come on, this is like this is not really workable." Right. And so I looked into like what are the things that I needed to change to like contribute to this project that would make it viable for my use case. And like the more I looked into it, it was kind of felt like it was going to be like more of a fundamental rewrite rather than me making some smallish PRs like contributions to this and. Most of the time, I want to be the person that contributes to an existing project. I don't particularly want to like build my own project just just so I've built it. But in this case, because it felt like a more of a fundamental rewrite of how like these how like the core of the of the the library worked, it felt like I'd be coming in like a hostile takeover to kind of rewrite a lot of the stuff that was already there. And I think in that situation, it is better to just. You know, if you've got a fundamentally a different idea of how something should be built, I think it is better to just build a separate project than it is to try and like take over or like, you know, like force a rewrite on this, on the author of this person who already has this like library out there. And so, yes, I decided to to build, to build it. So like I, I, I wanted it for my blog, 
but then I wanted it in future projects that are like fit the same kind of mold. And so like I could have I could have just built like a crappy version of it in my blog. But then if I wanted to use it in multiple projects, it kind of made sense for it to be like an open source thing because it's just like easier to pull into multiple projects. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, actually, I should put the time and effort into doing this properly so like other people can use it as well. And so, yeah, so and like I knew I had this interview coming up. So I kind of that kind of lit a fire up my ass to like, OK, I need to get it done for for this interview so we could talk about it in this interview. So that was another good motivation. That totally makes sense. It's really I can really relate to what you, what you said about, you know, wanting to use something that's already built. But if there's like a fundamental disagreement and like how to approach a problem, it's better to build it yourself than like force your version of implementation on an open source library. Yeah, totally makes sense. I just wanted to say, because I didn't hear the name very clearly, Elastic Lunar, I think it's called, right? L-U-N-R. So yeah, I, right, yeah. I, I, was, I thought you said Luna. So I kept looking for Luna. I'm like, I cannot find this thing. Am I spelling <laughs> something wrong? I finally found it. And then I, I was thinking to myself, we actually had him on the show, that creator, I believe, in the past. Oh, really? Philip Second said, yes, Adi looks confused. <laughs> so I remember uh, he's based out of Africa, I believe. He's on the show, I don't know how long ago, and, and looks like the last update he had for that project was, was about one, a little bit more than a year ago, March of last mm. year. And somebody yeah. else also asked if his project dead. So it's too bad because it sounds super promising and it seemed like the guy really was working hard on it. Yeah, so, I was um, like really excited when I found it. I thought this is like absolutely perfect and even more perfect if I don't have to build and maintain it. Like if someone's already solved these problems, that's that's amazing. But yeah, I kind of, I tried hard to use it. But like I said, like the the startup problem where it was just so, it was, it just, you know, like I don't want to wait two minutes to start the application every time I want to start it. And then like there was a PR that is kind of, to me, it looked 90% done, 19, you know, 99% done, but it hadn't been merged. And I was kind of like, ah, you know what, if I'm going to be using this as a fundamental core part of my projects, like I don't want to, you know, if it was Jose Valim who had built this thing and it was like, you know, I like I know how good he is at like maintaining these things, how like thoughtful he is about building these things, like how good these things are, like how well maintained they are. Like I've got no doubts that I would just use it straight away. But if a project seems kind of like dead or like not maintained anymore, like that's no problem. But like, yeah, kind of I don't want kind of don't really want to tie myself to that. Yeah, it's like I said, too bad because it seemed really promising. I, I do remember him being on the show, and I'm pretty sure Adi was like amazed. <laughs> it sounds like no. somebody. Would I would have remembered it. I would have remembered it. <laughs> I think I might not have been in the episode. So basically, Haystack is like, you know, it's like a full text search engine. It's built entirely in Elixir. So one of the things I wanted to do with it was to make it. If it's in Elixir, it should be easy to extend or to be able to do whatever you want with this. So, you know, if you're using full text search in Postgres or full text search in SQLite or like some other method of, of doing full text search, you don't have control over it really. If you want to extend it, if you want to apply some other metric or some other, some other thing to it, it's either going to be difficult or it's going to be impossible to do that. But with you know, with like other things in the Elixir community where there is an Elixir version of it. So like NX, for example, you know, it's fairly easy for me to go in and extend NX or do something with NX than it is for me to right. do the same thing in TensorFlow or like uh, NumPy or whatever. And so that was like a strong motivation for wanting to build it as well. I wanted to be able to meet my requirements of what I needed, but then have it built in a way that would allow other people to extend it in like whatever way they wanted. That makes sense. 
actually, I'm looking at the code here. It looks like you have like two ways of storing your data map and ets. How does the ets thing work? Do you use ets with your blog post? Or I imagine probably just like use, use a map. So, I mean, you could use either with like specifically with my, with cult.com, like I could have used either. Like, so you just have to wait. So like the map is like, you know, it's just a map, but you have to like store it somewhere. So, I mean, you could shove it in like an agent or whatever. It, it, yeah. it would work. But I primarily built, like I built out the first version of Haystack using the map storage backend to and like so I use it in tests and stuff basically and then I use ETS actually use ETS as as the storage mechanism for cult and like it's probably what I'll use for other projects as well. And so it's like it's beautiful that like you have this storage mechanism as part of Elixir. So I don't have to tell you to install anything. You know, you don't have to pull in anything. It just works like trans like, you know, like you wouldn't even know it was ha- it was using ETS in the background. But that was like the storage mechanism is one of the things that I wanted to make like extendable. So so you might not want to use use the state of the server that is running the application so like it'd be very easy to build like a redis backend that then there's the state is stored elsewhere so you don't lose the state during deployments and things like that or like you know you could use like a postgres you could build like a postgres implementation of the backend you could build you know you could build it you could have whatever it's just like it's essentially just a key value interface but so you could do like it doesn't really matter. But like, yeah, the two out of the box, like that map is what I use for testing primarily. And like ETS is like the default one that you would probably want to use in production because like you could use a map, but then you are like, you're limited by the messages to that process to get the state. Whereas like with ETS, it's like public read. So you're not limited in that way. So you probably could get away with using like a map in a gen server or an agent, but it's just as easy to use like ETS instead. Yeah, totally. And great thing about ETS in this case is like if you know you're running low on memory, it's very easy to add a debts back ETS, which is yeah, yeah, again like without even changing the implementation much. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I had some people reach out actually where they were they were already using ETS for like some things in their application, but they needed like a full text, a way to to search full text on the data in ETS. So you, you can obviously write match specs for. Ets, but you don't get full text search, right? And so, like this use case of was using Haystack, like that. I didn't imagine that people would use it internally to the application. I imagined it was going to be the way I was using it as a public face, and the, the the user actually types something in to search. But if you wanted to provide full text search on a data structure internal to your application. Like it doesn't matter where that data is, but you want to provide full text search on that data, then yeah, this is another like it's like a light touch, simple, like it's very simple to get going with it, simple to use, simple to extend way to provide that. That makes sense. I have a few questions on the indexing process, but but before you get there, Alan, do you have any questions on storage or ETS versus anything else? No, I just wanted to know like how do you feel about the match spec for ETS? <laughs> you enjoy it? <laughs> So like in Haystack, I'm not like, it's basically just a key value. Like I'm not using match specs at all. Then you, you got to just whatever you have, throw it away, get the match specs going. <laughs> that's not how you feel because that's, that's where the power is. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I feel, you, need to, I, you need to learn it though, because even when you're tracing, you have to use match specs. So it's kind of something I, that nobody wants to learn, but you kind of have to learn it, I think. Well, I think you can do very little match, match specs and like get by for tracing, but 
I mean, it's very deep. I, I built a OLAP engine on Amnesia, and it was, and that's all mad specs. And none of it is like you can't find. There, there isn't like a book you can buy that yeah. teaches you how that works. It's it's hell. It's hell, and it, it's not intuitive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so glad that you just chose to use it as key value, and all the indexing and tokenizing you did that on Elixir. It's easier to follow as well as like someone who's like reading through yeah. it. But but yeah yeah like yeah talk about like the indexing process. How does that look? Uh, yeah, so I mean I'm, I must admit I only had a like a vague understanding of how to build like a search engine before I started doing this. Um, you know, like a very very high level where I could probably describe how it works, but I wouldn't know the individual like steps. But like building a project like this, it's kind of like you know, like it's similar to you know building a compiler or like where it's one of those things where like people who are like developers fascinated in like how it works or like you know the the technical the details and stuff. But like yeah, so the I actually like basically just read a blog post of like uh, this is how you build it build a search engine in 150 lines of Python and like went from there. Cause I like, yeah, like I said, I didn't read, you know, I've never built a project like this before. I kind of only had a high level understanding, but like, yeah, that was another thing where I wanted to build it in a way that is extendable. So like I've provided the like implementation out the box to, to do like full text search. So like tokenizing, transforming, and then like actually like storing that data in the storage, but it's kind of, try to build it in an abstracted way so you can provide your own tokenizer you can provide your own tra- steps to transform the data like however you want and then like each like the way it's stored as well you could like you don't even have to use my ways of storing it you can provide your own or you could so like it's using fu- so it's like a full text search engine at the minute but i also foresee that you could do like semantic search or you could do like locality sense- sensitive hashing search as well. Like I build, there's I think it would be possible to do to build like multiple types of search, like search index, like search in quotes using this approach, which I think is quite interesting as well. God, very cool. And so one of the things that I kind of th- thought like would be interesting to build as like an open source. So I haven't, I haven't started this at all. I haven't like even like started it. It's just an idea. But one of the things that I think would be quite interesting is like an open source, like local first privacy way to store documents. And so like now that I'm an adult, I've got like, you know, I've got like a box full of papers of like when I've bought and sold houses, when I've you know, bought and sold like insurance or, you know, like I've got endless amount of documents that I've got like just in a big pile. And I want a, a way to be able to like index and, and like store that somewhere and, and like make it searchable. And I don't, I don't really want to upload those documents to like any cloud service because it's, it's like personal information. It's like, you know, very private information that's in these documents. And so like one of the interesting things that I think I could build as an open source thing is like just a Phoenix application that you'd run locally, but you like you scan your documents, it indexes them and then you can search over them. And it's just like a, it's a totally encapsulated application that you could run. And so like, because it's, it's like, I'm not relying on like other services or other dependencies. It's, you know, it's fairly simple to install. But then you could do, so you could do like full text search, which is what Haystack offers at the minute. So like say you wanted to find a letter from a specific person, you'd be able to search for the name. Or if you wanted to do like semantic search, so you wanted like, you know, you don't know the specific search term that you would need, but you kind of provide something that's related, you could do something like that. Or you could do like a locality sensitive hashing index. So you could say like, 
okay, just show me all the things that are related to insurance or show me all the things that are related to my car or my house or things like that. And so, yeah, that's another avenue that I think it's interesting as well, because if you were going to have this as an open source thing, and then for you to run locally, kind of, I think it's easier. I mean, you could do it with like SQLite or whatever, but then it just like reduces the amount of dependencies or the overhead that you need right. to, to run it. And then if you want to extend it or do anything like, you know, provide a, a different type of search or provide your own implementation of indexing or your own storage backend or, you know, whatever you want to do, you, that you have all these those things available to you. Yeah, makes sense. All right. I was curious about like how the querying thing also works. Like I see like quite interesting things over here. I see the IDF function and I don't see a Levenstein Yarrow distance. I was not expecting that, but like what are your thoughts on all of that? Like is there any plans on implementing Levenstein distance or any of that? Yeah. Yeah. So that's another thing where like the what you see now is like the most basic kind of implementation that I need to be able to deploy to my application that works, but it doesn't certainly does not doesn't cover like every kind of metric or every kind of like way to search or index content. But hopefully, it's built in a way that allows it to be extendable, so you could provide different uh, like distance metrics or you know different ways to compare documents or different tokenizers or transformers or backends. So yeah, I mean it's bare bones with the querying specifically. So you you can so. Ideally, I'd want to get to the point where it is has feature parity with Elasticsearch query syntax. But at the minute, it's just like like and or queries, and then just a match. But then, like ideally, I'd want to have like a more of a fuzzy match, more of a like a not match. The way it works, the way the querying works again. So it's you can build like a infinitely nestable set of clauses where the clause is like any or all, which maps to like and or or, and then like any number of expressions. So like, but the only expression so far is match. But then again, you can provide your own implementation of clauses. You can provide your own implementation of expressions. And so adding additional expressions or additional clauses is just a case of adding this like tiny module and then like right. passing it in as a config thing. It's like, it's not a huge amount. It wouldn't be a huge amount of work to, for me to do it or for somebody else to contribute to the library. But that's really cool. I guess that's like the, you know, the power of like making it like so extendable and the whole, like everything is a behavior. Everything is like, you know, has properly defined specs. And I was actually looking at your transformers and the stop words. And that was like one of the first things came to mind, like that's making that configurable. But even though the file name is not configurable, but the transformer as a whole yeah. is. So, and you, which you can provide when you, I guess, like evaluate a query or rather index a set. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so like quite selfishly, I basically want people to be able to use it without ever speaking to me. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't want to solve other people's problems and I don't really want to be, I don't want to block them from using it. Like, you know, it, it's kind of if you want to use something, but then it just doesn't have like the thing that you need. But if there's a way to very easily add it, you don't necessarily have to fork the project, get like, you know, get somebody who's probably, you know, lost interest in the project because it was built like years ago to like review the PR to merge in for them to ultimately take responsibility for the code that you've written. If you could just 
if you could just like use it as is, but then like provide your implementations that like, so it ended up taking longer than I would have liked. Obviously, like it offers like a fairly basic way to index and search content as it stands at the minute. So I like almost certainly could have built it in like a fraction of the time, but I tried to build it in a way that would be very open to having people like, oh, you know what? I don't like the way stop words is implemented or I want a different list of stop words. So I'm just going to provide my own module and there you go. You can, you know, you never have to speak to me. You never have to open a PR. Like that never, your implementation never has to be merged into the repository. Like I don't have to even know that you've ever used Haystack. And that's the kind of the the way I would want it to be. That's very cool. Yeah, I guess uh, I was going to move to using Haystack with the Phoenix application. But Alan, if you have any questions on Haystack before we do that? No, it's something I'm thinking about these days, adding some text searching in there and stuff for, for projects. I mean, it's nice not to have another service, right? Just everything within memory. Yeah. Totally. So I guess like that's like a good segue to like how what can we approach adding Haystack to Phoenix? Like what are a few things to keep in mind? Uh, yeah. And I guess like specifically you said like Nimble Publisher as well. Yeah. So on my blog, I've got a, a blog post that basically walks through the entire implementation of Haystack and explains like why I've made certain decisions or why I've built things in, in certain ways to try and like show that it, how, like, firstly, like, you know, like I'll learn how to build the Haystack from that 150 lines of Python. So like I wanted to provide my own version of that for the next person to come along and build their version. And then, yeah, I followed that up with another blog post, which is basically almost a copy and paste of my implementation of using Haystack in Cult. And so, yeah, it ends up being super simple. You basically provide a module with a few configuration things and that's it really. Like, you know, choose, choose which fields you want to index choose the storage implementation. There's a few different ways of like doing things, I guess. It's not particularly opinionated in how you do things. Uh, so one of the things is that you can either... So like because the state of the Haystack lives inside the application, when you deploy, you're obviously going to lose that state. So you could either like deserialize the state from, from a file system somewhere like it doesn't matter where it's where it is, but you could like like on when Haystack starts, you can like slurp up that index from somewhere, or you can rebuild the index like asynchronously. And so like the first thirty seconds of the application starting, like it's Haystack wouldn't have all the all the data, but it probably would very quickly. And so it depends. It really depends on your preference there. Like you know, having the having the index serialized serialized somewhere like in a S3 bucket or something that is just automatically pulled in and like, you know, you might not want to do that. So like for me, I don't do that because I don't want to have to rely on an external storage somewhere or like have that serialized somewhere. I just build it like every time the application starts up again and like having that like cold start is fine for like, you know, my blog that it doesn't, it's not like it's getting like pounded with searches like every single second. That's, that's a fine compromise to make, but hopefully Haystack is, you know, it offers you a flexible, like a flexible ways to, to make those decisions or make those trade-offs based on like what you want to do. And so like one of the things that was kind of, wasn't great with Elastic Luna was, was, I think was the way it like serialized and, and deserialized the data, like with with Haystack, I'm just doing like term to binary and then binary to term, which is, you know, like obviously very quick. Whereas like Elastic Luna was like writing it to a text file, but like it had to go through every single, right. every single like thing to like write it and then or to like read it again and to like 
like hydrated back into the index, which was the reason why it was super slow. And, and like, so yeah, I wanted to like avoid that problem because like, you know, like I didn't use Elastic Luna because of that. And so like, I didn't want to have to have that problem again. But then I wanted this to be where basically you as the, the person implementing Haystack in your project, you should be able to choose it, like where the data is stored, where it's, how it's hydrated back. It's entirely up to you. That makes sense. I was like, the more I'm looking at this post, like you have a very cool live view example of how the live view part, there's a event for search and like say articles, right? That's what you have here as an example and how you can search for articles in the, in the live view itself. Like I think I think like a good example, like if, if you worry about indexing it on start or there's like a lot of things to index, like live view is great because like you could like in mount, you can dispatch like a separate process that does the indexing for you, right? Yeah, sure, the search won't be ready until the indexing is done. But again, live view can show the search box when the indexing is done. That's the beauty of live view too. So yeah. Yeah, that is really cool. And it doesn't like so it doesn't do it as it doesn't index as part of a transaction. So it's not like it's nothing or everything. You know, you so like the first article that indexed could be the first thing that you were like, you know, you just have That's a, a sub, you just have a subset yeah. of the results until all of the all of the data is indexed. So it's not right. like unless you had like a hard requirement where you needed to to provide like yeah. the full results. But then you could I mean there's even ways of doing that, ways of dealing with that. You know, you could just like warm up the service before it actually switches over like the, there's an endless amount of ways to kind of deal right. with this problem it like yeah, I, yeah. Like the, the thing i wanted to to focus on was making it quick and then yeah. like everything else is like well it depends on your specific requirements or like or like the your choice of deployment or your choice of like where you store data or like yeah it's, it's entirely up to you but it's quick awesome What's kind of next for the next milestone for this, or it's kind of feature complete and that's it? Uh, yeah, so it's it's mostly just extending, provide more implementations, but hopefully it's each of those like ways of like you know I'm like I probably won't implement any more storage backends because I don't need them. But if you wanted right. to, if you wanted to have a Redis backend, like you don't even like you know. If somebody wanted to build one and then contribute it to the the GitHub organization, great. But I'm probably not going to build that. But then, yeah, like more types of expressions, more types of like you know, like various implementations of of the things that I've kind of left open to be extended, but I haven't necessarily provided a comprehensive list of implementations yet. A couple of months ago, I was playing with uh, locality sensitive hashing. So like, I think that'd be really cool. Like, so I built like a min hash implementation that I've got. It's private at the minute. Uh, I haven't. I, I kind of just built it as like, oh yeah, this is really interesting, but I haven't actually done anything with it. And so I think that could be probably something that I'd like to do. And like, yeah, with like, uh, like NX and Axon to do like a semantic search as well. And then I think that's like incredible, really, when you compare Elixir to like other communities that you could have like a, a search engine that offers semantic search built entirely in Elixir. That's like, who else has that? And like, nobody, I don't think. Right. It also pretty easily can do it without yeah. like having to write a lot of code. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. And it's like a completely encapsulated in Elixir. No external right. third party, like dependencies, no extra infrastructure. No, it's like, you could run it on your computer, you could run it on a server somewhere else. It's exactly the same. It's like, yeah, it's, I think it, I think, for me, that's like one of the most compelling things about Elixir that you can, it's so, it's so well integrated that you don't need the headache of like, you know, like a huge number of other things that you need to, to kind of 
deploy or manage or like interface with to offer this kind of functionality. It's like, to me, it's like, it's insane. And like, yeah, that was one of the strong motivations for me wanting to, to build Haystack so I could build more projects that were basically, you know, like almost like a vanilla <laughs> Phoenix application, but that could do like these incredible like things when you consider like, uh, you know, like for data processing with like Membrane on Broadway for like machine learning with NX and Axon and Bumblebee with Haystack to do search with, you know, like, yeah, it's amazing. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I think with a lot of machine learning, though, I think you might have to start supporting other storage and other than the binary to term storage as well. Yeah. Like the, uh, doing that in memory would definitely kill <laughs> the, the Elixir container. But but yeah, I think you have the you have the kind of a structure to support that. So that that's really cool. Yeah, it, it's I think it's one of those things where you you I felt like the the decision where you know you try and second guess every thing that. You, should be extendable and you're never really going to guess everything right. And right. You really need people to use it to, and then for it to settle down. So I imagine there would be a period of time where like the API is a bit like like volatile, you know, uh, the, as things settle down into the future, like more of those things where actually, you know, I provided this way to extend, but actually nobody uses it. So I, that doesn't need to be there. Or I've provided, or I haven't provided this way to extend this, like core part of it, which it needs to evolve to allow that. Um, so yeah, I imagine there's at least you know multiple things that I've probably overlooked or thought like, well, this this will never be ex- need to be extended. So I'll just provide this like naive implementation. But then yeah, uh, things will have to totally. Change. <laughs> I mean, the primary goal of this library was for your use case, and that's yeah. that that's that's what's always good to like default to like let me make sure it works for what I'm building it for instead of like what I think it will become so that's yeah totally makes sense yeah it's very cool I guess you mentioned NX and other stuff I think that's a good I think good segue to talk a little bit about price.com yeah you mentioned at the beginning but like yeah do you want to like elaborate like what it's about Uh, you mentioned that you use some machine learning and built entirely on Phoenix live view yeah it's, it's it sounds very interesting uh, yes, yeah, so so I'm an Elixir, I'm a, an Elixir contractor, and so uh, either in between contracts, uh, you know, you have time to to do other things, or you or you choose to not just not do any more contracts for a period of time. Uh, it kind of gives you that flexibility to work on your own projects as well. And so in uh, like December twenty one, I think finished my the the contract I was working on, and then in January twenty two, I started working on Prize. Um, so Prize is a product. It was like a productivity application that uses machine learning to basically understand the things you need to do. And so you know, you most people who I speak to have, have like multiple sources of things that they need to do. So like most people have at least a calendar and a to do list. So that's already two things. Uh, but like quite a lot of people have like you know multiple to do lists or like multiple things. So like if you're a contractor, you are you probably get invited to every client's like to do like project management application plus like calendar yeah. plus email plus you know like you have all these sources and um surprise so is a way to basically aggregate all that information prize then runs a machine learning model to understand the intricacies of the things that you have on your plate so so you might have so you know like you could have like tasks which is like record elixir mix 
interview, which is like, you know, one type of task. You could have a task that is like build here stack. So that's very different to, to recording an interview. Or you could have another task, which is send invoice to client. And that's again, very different again. And so like how you structure your work, like what you choose to work on in any given moment is very important to your productivity. You know, you want to have big blocks of time for deep work. If you are, when you've got a lot of energy, if you want to, you know, you've got some time at the end of the day. And so you don't really want to get into a big tasks, but you, you could maybe knock off sending invoices or paying expenses or things like that. And so prize is basically a way to prize understands everything that you need to do and then can offer recommendations and advice of like what you need to do or how you need to do things or like you need to speak to this person or, you know, things like that. And so, yeah, like started it in January, January 2022. It went live in March 2022. So it was three months. So it was built with Elixir, uh, Phoenix, LiveView. For the machine learning stuff, it was NX and Axon. So I was I was originally like toying with the idea, but it was built with TensorFlow. But then that meant I had to basically, or I would have had to deploy a Python. So like TensorFlow offers like TF Servin, which is like a an image that you can use to serve models. So, but then you know that adds like a a layer of complication because now I have to like have that somewhere running. Have to make sure it can <laughs> speak to my application. I need to get data back and forth, and and like you know all of these things aren't like completely unsurmountable. Like obviously it's you know fairly routine to to do these things, but it's another thing to maintain. It's another thing to set up and deploy. It's another. Th- Thing to go wrong and then so when nx and axon was announced i was just like oh my god this is like perfect this is exactly what i need and so yeah i was like as soon as it was available i started building i started playing with playing with it to to build prize and then i was fairly early to to build to, or like one of the earliest people i imagine to have something running in production with nx and axon but yeah, and that kind of like links back to Haystack in a way, I guess, where it's like the reason I was able to do Prize, I was able to build and deploy the whole thing in three months. And I was able to build this application that is essentially competing with companies that have raised 10 plus million dollars that have team. Like, you know, if you typically look at the people I was competing against, the companies are like, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 people. And like, obviously, you know, prices like pills in comparison to, to those applications. But I was able to deploy something that was able to do like a, like a set of functionality like related to that. And like, I do attribute a lot of that to the fact that I chose Elixir. So I was able to, if I was to build a feature that touched machine learning, backend, frontend, like, you know, I'm in one code base. I'm in one, like, I can just take a slice across the entire application. I'm not having to build and deploy a service in Python somewhere, like, modify the backend somewhere, modify a frontend somewhere else. Yeah, like, I think the fact that I was able to do Prize, like, a huge amount of it has to be attributed to the fact that I built it in Elixir. That's really cool. I mean, I want to give a specific, I'm looking at your website right now. I want to give a specific like mention to the auto categorization filters and smart recommendations. It's really cool, especially I think integrating with all these like ticket management systems. And nowadays I know like a lot of people like track, well, my team doesn't do it. Uh, I wish they did, but I track like the, my estimate to the actual time. And then like, being able to run like analytics and like what part of the system is like, you know, 
less deterministic, right? And stuff right. like that, like this really opens up a lot <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in terms of machine learning and, you know, what it, it could be super useful for businesses. Yeah. But even with this, it's, it's really cool. Like all the features you managed to build in three months, it's crazy. It's crazy. The website looks awesome. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, no one can even like tell it's like pedal stack. It looks like a, like an actual, like super professional uh, <laughs> site. I don't know if the site is also pedal stack. It looks like it is, but yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, so it, it is. It was just part of the. It was like just part of a single repo. But yeah, it's pretty much every person that I speak to about it is kind of like, well, how much money have you raised, or like how many people are on your team? And it's just like, well, I haven't raised any money, and it's just me. <laughs> that's really awesome, and again, that's friends. The power of Elixir. Like every every startup I advise, I tell them to use Elixir Phoenix Live View for this specific reason it's just so easy to spin up a prototype and a prototype that will like last you a while and like ruby yeah. on rails something that's like scalable and easy to like extend upon as well really yeah, exactly. cool yeah awesome alan do you have any any other thoughts you did the design yourself yeah i did everything like all the design mm-hmm. all the code every single word that is written in the on the website and on the blog is me oh you're that's you, you cool. got some skills huh you're a one-man band <laughs> yeah Especially the copy is always difficult, especially if you want to use it for SEO. Yeah, so like that was like many iterations. And it's probably, you know, like pales in comparison to if someone was doing that as their full-time expertise. But yeah, like that's kind of... So I've I like I've stopped d- doing prize in January and I'm just letting it run in the background, but I will shut it down. And so like I kind of hit the crossroad, crossroads where for me to compete in that market, I basically had to raise money because it was just, it wasn't manageable for me to do everything. You know, like it's one thing for me to build the application, but then, or to build the website, but then it's a, it's a full-time job to get traffic to the website, to, you know, speak to customers, to like do all the things that are like outside of the product as well. And so I just didn't have time to do everything. Yeah, this is really cool. It's really commendable design. This is really awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I guess if we don't have anything else, we can transition to picks. Alan. So my pick is I got a new headset just for gaming because now I've got a couple of Steam friends, finally, because Adi doesn't want to be my Steam friend. But yeah, I because sometimes I get phone calls, you know, during a match. It's always difficult to, you know, pause the game or stop or whatever. But I got this one. It's, a, it's called the Nova Pro Wireless. So it has a dongle that comes with it, a 2.4G, you know, that signal range. USB, typical thing. But it also can connect to your Bluetooth, whatever. So it could be stereo, could in this case, for, for phone for me. And it's super helpful because sometimes, like I said, you, you get a call during a match and you can easily answer the call and, and talk and don't have to stop and uh, run and look for your phone, etc. So super, super nice. Sounds really great. Bad part, wicked expensive. I think it's like 250 bucks or something. It's crazy. But sounds great, though. It's got noise cancellation, everything else. So that's kind of my pick. That's awesome. Yeah, I always love hearing about gaming headphones. I end up getting non-gaming ones because I just can't justify spending that much money for gaming for myself. But yeah, I'll add this to the list of headphones I'm not going to (laughs) buy. Philip, what are your picks for this week? Uh, Yeah, so the first one is uh, Richard Taylor wrote a blog post on MRSK. I'm sure you've probably seen DHH's like deployment tool. So he wrote a, so Richard wrote a blog post on deploying Elixir applications using MRSK, MRSK, like the ability to cluster, deploy to multiple clouds, have a service running across multiple clouds, so like multiple locations. And so you can kind of think of it as a build your own fly.io. It's kind of, it's not quite 
the same. Like obviously having an integrated service like Fly manages that like the entire thing for you and provides like a layer on top to make it easier to use. But if you want to run a similar a similar setup, say or you want to have more control or or things like that. So like an interesting thing that I don't do, but I kind of that I, I'm kind of interested in doing is, you know, when you sign up for a service and say you're in Europe, like give them the option to have all of their data and all of their traffic routed through a European server, like owned by a European company. And then like, the, you know, the same with like a US company. And so I like this would be a really interesting way to do it and like you know an achievable way to do it and Richard had a, a really good uh, write-up on that so yeah I haven't played with that yet but it's something that is on my list of things to do once I've wrote some more haystack oh something tells me I'm gonna need it soon it's very cool yeah I hadn't yeah. checked this blog post but that's very MRSK it's uh, so basically 37 signals is moving away from cloud yeah they basically found that they already have a ton of servers as it is. And so this tool is kind of like Capistrano, except it's very specific for deploying containers to static hosts that are Docker, running Docker on them. Very cool. Yeah, so it's definitely interesting. So I I really, I had a long time feeling like, you know what, cloud is wicked expensive, especially like I'm running a digital ocean and I I gave my stats to an AWS person. They're like, yeah, yeah, we can beat any any pricing. And they're like, oh, here's our pricing. And it was like $20 higher. Like not huge, but also my bill's not huge either. But I was like, well, so you told me you can beat it, but you, you're not. And then they didn't reply back. I think they just lost face. <laughs> but in any case, like all these clouds, I mean, basically, if you have the infrastructure, because they start off doing internal hosting anyways. So they had everything already. And their servers are like 10 years old or something, but it still runs great. I mean, they're, they're actual servers, bare metal, right? So it's it's interesting. I, I, I just, I, I like that people are getting off the cloud, not because, you know, I hate the cloud or something, but I don't like that people over glamorize the cloud is what I'm kind of after. Yeah. I think like I think the, yeah. if you use an AWS, the kind of, I think almost like people have kind of lost sight on the real benefit of AWS is that you can immediately scale and then scale up and scale down very, very quickly. But if you're just if you have a workload that is basically always consistently the same, then you by using AWS you can you you are overpaying for something because you you know you've picked a service that like can offer that scalability. And so yeah, I think I'm really really excited about like about this and particularly this write up because like like Richard has like went through all the steps to to figure this out for like specifically for an Elixir application. So he uses like. So it, so he offers he shows how to do like clustering with tail scale like yeah everything that you would need to to offer like a uh, like almost fly to io experience but not quite wow and it's hard to beat the hundred k startup uh, credit from AWS though right yeah. <laughs> that's why they that's why they do it right yeah right yep but in any case like I said if you're just starting off you don't know it's fine but if the problem is they have predictable traffic it's good it's actually going up but it's very predictable and so right. they've already figured everything out anyways interesting speaking of that maybe sorry let me actually do one more so now that we're on this topic I'm gonna actually send out the video I'll put it into the show notes about DHH talking about this because I think it's super interesting and I just want people to check it out and evaluate their own IT bill and just see, you know, if you can come up with something similar. I'm betting that you probably may be able to. It depends on if you have the hardware or not. But in any case, check it out. Very cool. I guess my pick for the day is a video game. It's a new one. It's called Chia. T-C-H-I-A. It's like 
a game inspired by New Caledonia, which is like a northeast of Australia to the Pacific. It's like a set of islands. And you can, it's like an open world sandbox. You can swim, climb, glide, sail your board, or whatever. It's like Breath of the Wild, but better. It's controversial. <laughs> But yeah, it was a very surprising game. I have only played it for like three hours and I was very immersed. The music was really beautiful. The story seems like it will kind of add up and make sense. But yeah, I can only get disappointed now. So I would highly recommend anyone playing at least for three hours. So I guess if Alan and Philip, you have nothing else, uh, we can call this out. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for joining us today and we will see you next week for a new episode of Lexmix. Bye. Bye. Thank you.